Hello and welcome to our fourth episode, What to Expect After a Transaction, where Claire Shepherd and David Stevenson will talk us through the transition journey a pension scheme takes once PRT transaction has been signed and some key considerations to be aware of pre and post signing. Thanks both for joining us today. David, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your role at LNG? Yeah, hi Paige. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm David Stevenson. I'm a senior transition manager in the PRT transition function, and I ensure that your pension scheme has a smooth and seamless transition across to LNG once the PRT transaction is agreed. Outside of work, I'm currently homeschooling my three children, which presents its own challenges. So it is a little it's manic at the moment. So not only an expert in pension administration, but also becoming an expert in delivering lesson plans for your class of three. And Claire, um, if you can just give us a, a little bit about yourself and, and your role at LNG. So I'm Claire Shepherd. I'm also a senior transition manager in the, in the same team as David. So, so working with the trustees and their advisors on PRT transitions. Outside of work, I spend most of my time at my local wildlife hospital. So, so unlike David, I, uh, I tend to deal with animals rather than children, but it definitely keeps me busy. So I, I can imagine you get less excuses around not doing homework. Um, <laughs> David's conversations. Definitely. So you both work in the transitions team. Can you give our audience a bit of an overview of the types of work your team does um, post-transaction and actually pre-transaction as well or pre-signing? Yes, of course. So the transition function is responsible for overseeing the implementation of the pension scheme into LNG from the point the scheme transacts. Um, we work on a number of buy-in and buy-out transactions and in the team we've got a number of transition managers and a number of transition consultants and a layer of management to, to support them and, and each TC is allocated a new transaction and they're responsible for the day-to-day -day running of the implementation and then they also take the lead on some of the smaller transactions um, and the transition managers they support the transition consultants, but then they also take the lead on the larger, more complicated, more bespoke transactions. And in addition to that, they also support the new business function. So when a transaction is about to happen, the transition manager will get involved potentially with due diligence. They might help with selection meetings or they might review the benefits of the scheme to make sure that our administration systems are able to accommodate the scheme requirements. David, you mentioned that the team are involved pre-signing of a transaction. Does the same team carry on through to the transition process after it's been signed or is a different team allocated within the, the transition wider team? Yeah, so we like to ensure continuity. So a team that's established up front will work through the pre-sale transaction phase into the transition so that all those sort of relationships that are established during the pre-sale stage carry on through and get developed as we work through the transition as well. Great. It's good to hear that the, the relationship kind of stays intact and, and you can build on that post signing the transaction. And Claire, could you just talk us through a typical transaction and the steps involved once once the transaction has actually been signed? 
there are quite a number of key stages in the, in the transition phase. The first stage we really refer to as the initial post-transaction stage, and that's that's where we start holding that key stakeholder meeting with the trustees, their advisors, the administrators, really all the key people from both LNG and also those who, who are involved in the scheme. Alongside that, we'll obviously schedule our regular catch-up calls so we can monitor progress throughout the whole transition phase and creating project plans, query logs to, to track progress. Obviously, the, the really important part of that stakeholder meeting is to talk through what happens next. So in particular, with relation to pension payments and the deferred administration, just to make sure that everyone's clear of the expectation on the individual teams or individuals involved and set out some clear timescales. And I guess the main bulk of the transition phase is what we call data cleanse. And and that's really the period where the trustees can look at their data and make sure that that represents the exact insurance they want. So we support that by doing our own data validation through a tool that we have and then hopefully at the end of that data cleanse process the trustees have a signed off benefit specification and data incorporating all the changes that come up and through that period it's obviously really important that the trustees can pay the members still so so we will obviously start the funding of that pensioner payroll back to the trustees through that buy-in phase and just so they can meet their obligations um, to the individual members and we'll do that by running a shadow payroll and we'll also look at deferred member settlements if there are deferred members in the scheme. And how long does this process typically take and is the bulk of the work undertaken by the schemes administrators and your team or is it more onerous on, on one or the other? So that's quite involved process. I guess it can typically take a year, though, though it can you know, happen much quicker than that. Or if people have got GMP equalisation concerns, that is unfortunately delaying things slightly. So that does take up the bulk of the transition period. And obviously, if, if the trustees are on a longer journey and are, are moving to buyout, we will obviously take on the administration and payroll and, and we have an established plan for doing that and ultimately when when we establish individual policies we'll issue those to members and the trustees will be discharged. Obviously it's the trustees responsibility to carry out data cleanse so their administrator may need to do a lot of work on their behalf but we try and support them as much as possible through the process uh, and that could be you know when we validate the data ourselves and provide that detailed report or having those regular catch-up calls um, so we can discuss any issues as soon as possible. As you just mentioned there Claire, buying transactions at a later date can be converted to a buyout Dave, could you talk us through some of the steps and any operational considerations to bear in mind through this process? Of course. So when we're moving from buy-in to buy-out, preparation is key. The first thing that the scheme really needs to do is to make sure that their administration systems are all up to date. Um, they need to make sure that all their work in progress is up to date. And by that, I mean live in-flight cases, you know, have all the settlements been dealt with correctly, have all the new spouses been set up correctly, etc. And then they need to work very closely with the insurer to make sure that 
they understand what the process is going to look like when the administration is handed over. So they'd need to talk to them about dummy payroll runs. This might be more likely with larger schemes. Um, you need to think about how they're going to transfer the data across to the insurer. Is it going to be via a secure portal or using a data site? And then how is the data going to look? Is it going to look like on a spreadsheet on one line per member or is it going to be in a different format? So lots of things to consider. Like I said, we need to think about the work in progress cases, what the process is for dealing with them during that sort of handover period, and then also consider what the queries are going to look like after the admin is transferred across, because it's more than likely that the, the schemes administrators will still get phone calls from members who perhaps don't quite understand what's happened. Now, a key aspect of a buyout is informing the members on who will be managing and paying their benefits going forward. At what stage are member communications sent out and who typically does this? Once all that planning and preparation has been done, there will come a time where it's time to actually start communicating to members. So the members will have already been notified of the move to buyout earlier, but they'll also now need to get notified of when the move is going to happen when when the new insurer is going to make the first payment what the expectations are who to contact etc so it's really key that the administrators on, on behalf of the trustees send out those letters to the members to set out the expectation for the coming months and then you're going to get to the stage where you're actually transferring the administration so that transfer typically takes place over over a one month period so the existing administrator will make a payment say on the 1st of june and the insurer will then make the first payment on the 1st of July. So during that one month period, there's lots of activity that needs to happen. All the payroll needs to be transferred across to the new insurer. And during that period, there's lots of checking tax codes, checking addresses, making sure that everything's consistent with what they would expect to be able to put onto the system so that when they make that first payment, it's as seamless as possible a transition. Once all that's happened, the insurer will issue a communication to the member to say what they can expect from legal and general and that may include frequently asked questions and telephone numbers how to contact us etc and just details about their payments so it's really important that the insurer sets out what the expectations are and and how the member can expect to be contacted by by the insurer you know and this this applies to both sort of pensioners who are currently receiving payments, but also deferred members who aren't yet receiving payments. So it's just making clear that they know who to contact and, and how to contact them. And will each member receive a new policy each? Yes, each member will receive policy documentation. The document itself will set out what the member's entitlement is. For example, how it increases, what is payable on death, and whether there are any lump sums payable. It will also contain contact details. The document itself will sit in a glossy wallet, which contains more information about how to understand the policy document and some frequently asked questions. And just to pick up on the date of which the transfer takes place, can you step us through what steps are taken ahead of the first payment being made by the insurer? Yes, LNG and the current administrators will have been in discussion for a long time ahead of the first payment to discuss the details surrounding the handover. It's key to ensure that the right people are engaged and part of those discussions and a detailed plan will have been created to set out tasks, timings, roles and responsibilities. 
And, and the handover process typically kicks off after the last payment has been made by the current administrators. So, for example, after the 1st of April payment has been made, the scheme shuts its payroll and passes over all the required information to LNG. And then LNG starts to load that information onto its systems. Everything will be loaded in advance of the next payment due on the 1st of May. So there's no interruption to the timing of the payments that the members are expecting. Thanks, Dave. And just one additional question on that. Is our administration services run in-house or are they um, externally run and outsourced to someone else like some of the other insurers do within our market? Yeah, so all of our, our administration is in-house in the UK. We take great pride in our administration ability and we think that it's a real benefit to have all of the administration under one roof, so to speak. Great, that's, that's good to hear. So moving on to some of the other questions around what trustees can do post buy-in. If a, a trustee wants to restructure or, or mine benefits, can, can they do that? And if they can, what should a trustee consider when thinking about this? The terms for having a restructure augmentation are set out in, in the original buying contract that the trustees sign. So, so all up front. The most important thing really is to start discussing your thoughts with the insurer as early as possible. You know, get those key decision makers involved from both sides. It just saves time in the long run, make sure that everyone's on the same page. And, and ultimately we come up with something that's that's straightforward, practical and hits all objectives in terms of what the trustees want to do. I think the other important thing that we should make sure is not forgotten is, is the impact on members and what those communications will look like because obviously any change, even if it's a, a lovely change of having an augmentation, um, is something that members sometimes get a little bit nervous about. So just giving them comfort uh, and making sure those communications are clear and easy to understand is definitely important. Great. So for schemes considering a, a buy-in or a buyout, what can they do best to prepare from an operational perspective? So I think data is key and I think it's something that's got increasing focus in our industry in recent times. So GMP reconciliation, GMP equalisation, everyone's current favourite subject, checking the barber windows closed, looking at your service periods and your pension elements and do they tally with each other. Spouse pensions is also something that the insurers would want up front. So have those spouse benefits been calculated already? Uh, alongside that, I guess, is nailing down the benefit structure. Do the trust deed and rules match what is actually happening in practice? Are there any existing insurance contracts that need to be taken into consideration? Any discretionary benefits that need hard goading? And I think uh, an, another thing that, that does come up is it in terms of transferred in benefits and is there sufficient information to be able to ensure the correct benefits there? You know, something that, that is always really useful is, is kind of writing out to members if there is a gap in your data, you know, it helps firm up the pricing. You know, do you have addresses for everyone is another thing um, that trustees could look into. And I guess uh, the end point I would say is talk to your administrators, you know, making sure they're, they're on the journey with you. They know the timescales, they can give you costs of, of what is involved from their side and they're not 
taken aback at the last minute when a when a transaction happens, I think is just really useful for all sides. Thanks, Claire. So bringing everyone along um, with you as, as that journey in terms of key decision makers and, and key advisors as well. Definitely. I think just, yeah, everyone, everyone working together um, is something that just helps things go so much more smoothly. Have either of you got any last words you'd like to add? We've, we've had a lot of experience doing these transitions. We've dealt with over 3,500 pension schemes and, and quite often we find trustees ask if they can come into our offices and, and see how, how we work together or the virtual talk through very happy to offer that what claire and i have spoken about today there's a lot of material there's a lot of content you might think oh this is really daunting but really at legal and general we're here to hold your hand every part of the transition journey great um, unfortunately that's all we've got time for today but thanks both for your time it's been really interesting to hear how a pension scheme goes from a to b um, when they're considering a buy-in transaction and also how they go from a buy-in to a buyout and hopefully our conversation has demystified the transition process for a few of our listeners Remember, you can subscribe to Institutional Insights via Spotify and Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening and goodbye.